0: Welcome to the good dog pod. Every Wednesday we discuss all things dogs from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join good dogs mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the good dog pod. I am Dr. Michael Delgado, your host today. And you may know July is Emergency Preparedness Month here at Good Dog. And so I'm very excited about today's guest from the organization Red Rover. Red Rover is a nonprofit that helps animals in crisis and works to strengthen the human-animal bond in many ways. Among the many services they provide, Red Rover temporarily shelters animals displaced during disasters They provide funding to pet owners and Good Samaritans to help them care for animals in life-threatening situations, and they also provide education to increase empathy for animals. So today, we're talking to Beth Gammy, the Director of Field Services at Red Rover. She monitors disasters and emergencies. She manages requests for help and responses in the field when animals are in crisis. And She's got a pretty interesting background. She earned her Juris Doctor degree from the University of Illinois, and she has a Master's Degree in Counseling from Arizona State University. Beth, thank you so much for joining us on the Good Dog Pod today.
0: Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So as we get started, can you just tell me a little bit about Red Rover? I I know I gave kind of the very high-level view, (laughs) but what does Red Rover do?
0: Well, you did a really great job of explaining what we do in a nutshell We have three major programs, and the program that I work in is the Responders Program, which is, as you mentioned, we provide services and help for animals in natural disasters and cruelty cases, and we'll probably talk more about it in some other situations as well. We also help out with TNRs and help kind of disadvantaged communities with Mm -hmm. animal welfare. And in fact, we're doing a vaccination clinic in West Texas this weekend. And then we have our relief program, which, as you mentioned, provides help and resources for people with their pets and Good Samaritans who are helping animals with life-threatening conditions. And part of the relief program, we also provide help and services for domestic violence survivors. pets. Amazing. So much great work. Yeah, we'll probably talk about that too, maybe in more detail. And then our humane education program, Red Rover Readers, which is just really fantastic in teaching educators and volunteers how to work with kids in schools to help develop and strengthen their empathy and teach them about animals and why it's important to be kind to them.
1: That's awesome. Now, I always like to learn a little bit about my guest's background. And so how did you end up working at Red Rover? Was this the career you envisioned? I know you went to law school, right? So did you always think you'd have a career working with animals and helping them? Or was this a total 180 for you at some point?
0: It's funny. I never thought I would have a career helping animals. I just thought it was going to be something I would do. I mean, it's something I like, I'm sure all of us have helped, you know, stray animals throughout my life and volunteered with rescue groups and done dog transports and all of that. And, you know, I practiced law for over 20 years and oh, wow. really wanted to And I had a great career and really didn't want that to be the only thing I did professionally. So I went back to school to get my master's in counseling and completed that. And while I was doing that, I started volunteering with Red Rover. Nice. with the responders program and loved it, loved it and thought, cool. I mean, this is how like slow I am to catch on. I'm like, cool, this is going to be something I can volunteer and do the rest of my life. (laughs) And I kept signing up for deployments and just found it very meaningful way to help animals and their people. And then my position opened up, well, it was an emergency services manager when I started. And so I thought, wow. And I just never envisioned that until I volunteered with Red Rover. I didn't even know this was a way you could help animals. Right. It kind of opened up disaster response and cruelty response is something I never thought of. And I think that's something that a lot of people who want to help animals and want to make a career out of it just don't know about. Anyway, so I tossed my hat into the ring, you know, 10 years ago. And the rest is history. I just have been with Red Rover ever since. And have just been totally grateful to be in this position and to do the work I'm doing.
1: That's amazing. I mean, you hinted, okay, so you're the director of field services and you said the word deployment. So what does that look like? Like what is your, you know, if you're going out to a site, what is your daily work look like? Like, how do you even know how to get help where it's needed? Can you just tell us a little bit about the work you're actually doing?
0: Yeah, of course. So we are available to help any community in the United States and Canada when there's, you know, a natural disaster or a cruelty case. So like a puppy mill seizure or hoarding seizure. Mm-hmm. And when the number of animals is just too great for the local jurisdiction to manage. And so, you know, we help set up and staff temporary animal shelters. Okay. And, or sometimes we're helping in their brick and mortar shelter, and that's where they're housing the animals from the disaster. And I'm the point of contact for Red Rover. So all they would need to do is reach out to me. Begami at redrover.org is a great way to reach out to me. And then I just talk with them and get a handle on what the situation is, number of animals how many people they're looking for. And throughout that process, I can kind of let them know about resources, other resources that are out there and other partners too that can help. And so then we reach out and activate our volunteer base and we have over 4,000 volunteers and we reach out to volunteers, you know, kind of in that area, in that region. Mm -hmm. And then when we start working, you know, what it looks like, you know, every deployment is different, but then Again, there's really some commonality. So, you have, you know, in a natural disaster, you have usually people evacuating with their pets. Right. And sometimes we're setting up and operating in a temporary shelter right by, let's say, the Red Cross shelter. So, okay. there are people with pets. They don't stay in that shelter or the human shelter. You know, they stay at the nearby temporary shelter and we help take care of the animals. So, it's feeding them, watering them, cleaning cages managing all the huge amount of donations that come in. And we're usually working side by side with people from that jurisdiction or other volunteers, humane societies. And I remember that on the first deployment I did in Arizona as a volunteer, it was just like this little city sprung up at this county fairgrounds. And all of a sudden you've got like pallets of food and all these dog cat cages set up and you know, all these workers, and it just becomes like a temporary little city of people all dedicated to helping the animals, and then people coming by with donations, because they just want to help. And then a population of cats and dogs and natural disasters, we get all kinds of animals, Mm -hmm. pocket pets and Superstorm Sandy, one 10 year old brought his goldfish.
1: Oh,
0: you know, so We're just there to work and support the efforts of the jurisdiction on the ground. And so, you know, we never just show up. We never just hear about a situation and just show up and that's self-deploying. And, you know, in disaster response, that can really make things complicated. Mm -hmm. And we always work kind of within the emergency response system. And so we need to be asked in by the jurisdiction that has authority to take care of the animals and so part of my job is when we hear things going on you know I'll reach out to them okay and say hey we come in free of charge we work under you you know we follow your direction we'll offer suggestions but you know we're just a really good partner that way and sometimes you know cities and counties are a little bit wary of animal groups coming in sure
1: I mean there's legal issues right
0: Yeah, Yeah. there's legal issues. It's a chaotic time. Yeah. And you know, the last thing they need is, you know, a group coming in and just kind of freelancing it. So a lot of my work on the phone is just saying, Hey, we work under the incident command system, which is the emergency response management system that animal control and law enforcement work under. And a lot of times when they hear that, they're like, Oh, okay, this is someone that's done it before. (laughs) Right. You You know know what you're
1: doing. You've yeah. Yeah. And we're
0: responsible. Because it is a little bit of a trust, so they have to trust. Yeah. So it's just really fantastic, meaningful work. And if anyone listening to this, if it just sparks any kind of interest, we'd love to have you as a volunteer. Because our volunteers that do this say this is the most meaningful volunteering I've done in helping wow. animals. Wow.
1: And how long does the deployment usually last? Does it depend on the severity of the situation or?
0: Yeah. So we typically are on the ground from about seven to 10 days. Okay. And in longer disasters or situations, we may go back several times, Mm -hmm. but that's just how long we're able to stay. You know, temporary shelters are sometimes up and running for a lot longer than that. Mm -hmm. We helped with a cat hoarding case in Florida and That shelter was open for about five months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a case work through, you know, the legal system.
1: Yeah. And I imagine your counseling degree has come in handy. I'm just curious because we hear a lot about, you know, compassion fatigue and and the mental strain of doing this kind of work. Do you find that? you know, you kind of need to decompress after a deployment to kind of be able to deal with the stress and what you've seen?
0: Yeah, you know, I do. And, you know, I've I've just have always been very interested and compassionate towards people as well as animals. And I think that's partly why I love Red Rover, because we really are about the human-animal bond and helping people as well. And yeah, I need to decompress. You know, I'll tell you the one thing that surprised me. And I noticed this after, you know, during my first deployment, because I'm such a marshmallow, I just, I of course, hate to see animal suffering. And I honestly didn't know if I would be able to manage it. Yeah, And I think I was very surprised at how nourishing it was for me as a person to be there helping. And there were, of course, saw some difficult things, but you know, working side by side with like minded people. And it's kind of so encompassing. It's, you know, it is a crisis, you're there. And you make such really tight bonds with the people you work with. And I'm always surprised at just how much I actually laugh and really crack up with the people I'm working with, you <laughs> nice. know, and yeah, but yes, really good about self care. And We're also really good about keeping an eye on our volunteers and make sure they're doing okay, too. Great, great. As I mentioned before, this
1: is Disaster Preparedness Month at Good Dog, and maybe you could talk a little bit about, based on what you've observed and learned in your years at Red Rover and going to places where there have been natural disasters and evacuations, like what are the top things that pet owners should be doing to be prepared in general for disasters?
0: There's lists of things to collect and all of that, but just generally just have in your mind thinking about where would I go and how would I get there safely with my pets? Mm -hmm. And so where would I go is, you know, it's really helpful to have just to know the hotel motel chains that have pet friendly housing Mm -hmm. or folks, friends, family that you could get to, you know, outside of your region. Of course, it depends on how big that disaster is. Yeah. But the second thing is sometimes the more challenging is how to get there safely with your animals. And for a lot of people, that really comes down to just having carriers and crates for all your animals. Because when this hits, you don't have time to run out and do that shopping. Sure. You're going to be very absorbed with really getting everything together and getting out of there. And you may not have a lot of time. So have that at your house. And so I personally have carriers for all my cats. Yep. And it's the kind of thing that's hard to get at the last minute. And so you have those. And, you know, for dog owners that like, oh, my dog is friendly, I can keep them on a leash. I really suggest you having a crate big enough for them to stay in because you never know what kind of place you're going to be staying. You know, you may sure. be trying to talk your way into a hotel that doesn't allow pets. And it's really helpful to say, hey, I can keep my dog in the crate. Some of the emergency animal shelters, the ones where you are able to stay with your pet right by your cot, you need to have a crate, you know, or a carrier for your cat. So those are really the big things. Of course, have all your pets microchipped. Yes. Just do that, do that, do that. You know, the evacuation is just a prime opportunity for animals to get loose. And you really want to know. You really want to know if your pet gets loose, that they're microchipped, you know, keep a collar on them. And I think it's also really helpful in your neighborhood to exchange house keys with, you know, a trusted neighbor or friend and because you may be at work when a disaster hits. And we see that a lot in wildfires.
1: Wildfires, yeah. I'm in Northern California,
0: so. Right. And sometimes people get kind of judgmental about people that have evacuated without their pets, but a lot of times they are away from home when that happens. And so you want someone to have the ability to get into your house and get your animals. And, you know, the other thing is make sure you have a vehicle big enough to get everyone out in cages. And if you don't, then make a plan for who's going to be your evacuation buddy that can take you know cuz i know there's a lot of multiple dog owners out there and those sure. cages get you know they, get, so, big. <laughs> yeah, they get big yeah. or, you know you can also of course take the crates apart you know and have your dogs loose in the car and then have your crates ready to be put together and then kind of the last thing i'd say that's really helpful is to have your vaccinations up to date yeah. but have them kept on your phone and on the cloud because it's really helpful Again, like when getting into a hotel that may not accept pets and you're able to say, hey, look, I've got my vaccination records right here on my phone. You can see them. And what that really tells them is you're a responsible pet owner. Yep.
1: These are great. Like really, I mean, I think everyone's heard about the grab and go bag and the list of supplies, but when it comes down to it, like you may not have time to grab the bag, but you probably have your phone. So, these yep. are, you know, really good practical suggestions. Yes. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Okay, well, we know that people often need help outside of natural disasters, help for caring for or keeping their pets. Sometimes there's medical emergencies. So I thought it'd be great if you could just briefly tell us about the Red Rover Relief Urgent Care Grant Program and how that works.
0: Yeah, sure. Our Urgent Care Program is really great. And, you know, this is so sincere. I feel like I'm doing a commercial, but really it's, you know, just knowing what urgent care offers and that staff that do such a great job. We provide financial assistance in the form of grants. You know, usually they're about two hundred fifty to three hundred fifty dollars, and it's for life-threatening situations. You know, they're kind of considered gap grants because you can hardly even walk by a vet's office, you know, and it's not costing that much. The money flies away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But it's for pet owners and also good Samaritans who are helping an animal. And, you know, you can go to redrover.org slash relief to see the criteria. But basically it's not for just routine care Mm -hmm. and it's not for diagnostics, but we work directly with the veterinary clinic. And, you know, a lot of times once they hear that someone's involved to fund part of the care and that we're working with the pet owner to find other funding, a lot of times they're really touched by that. And sometimes they say, oh, well, we can do this surgery for a little bit less. And so we really work on helping that animal get in the door at the vet clinic and get the care that we need. And last year we gave out about 4,500 grants all over the country. Amazing! And it was about $134,000 in grants. So it really helped pets get the treatment that they needed. That's fantastic.
1: You are listening to The Good Dog Pod. We're here today with Beth Gammy. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: Did you know breeders on Good Dog get $100 every year to spend on health testing and access to exclusive discounts from our partners, including Embark, Pawprint Genetics, and AKC Reunite? Click the link in the show notes to learn more about how you can access these special discounts and benefits today.
1: And we are back. You are listening to The Good Dog Pod, and today's guest is Beth Gammy from Red Rover. So this is one thing that I really love about Red Rover is your program to help victims of domestic violence. And we know that statistics suggest 25% of domestic violence survivors return to their abusers because they had to leave a pet behind, which is devastating. So can you talk about how you're addressing this problem to help both victims of domestic abuse, but also the programs that offer human shelter to victims of domestic abuse?
0: Yeah, well, it really is a huge issue, and domestic violence perpetrators are just really master manipulators, and mm-hmm. they will go after anything that their victim cherishes. And sure. for so many people in that situation, you know, it is their pets, and so they really know how to turn the screws down and threaten harm or do harm. Yeah, it's
1: emotional abuse too, right? I think you yeah, think it of is. it physical, but it's yeah, it can be emotional. It is, too. and
0: just an aside. As an attorney, you know, I worked with domestic violence victims and honestly have yet to talk with a single one who had a pet that wasn't harmed or threatened harm. So it's real. And the people in those situations know that. So that's why, you know, about half of them delay leaving and a quarter of them return because they're so worried about their pet. So we're tackling that in a couple ways. You know, one is that we have safe escape grants that will cover boarding of animals while a survivor is in a domestic violence shelter, which is huge because that lets the person get the services and escape and also bring their pet with them. So it's a Band-Aid and Band-Aids are really important, but we're looking longer term and we are working to help increase the amount of on-site housing at domestic violence shelters and also at animal shelters that work with domestic violence shelters to provide housing for domestic violence pets. And so we have safe housing grants up to $60,000 to domestic violence and animal welfare organizations to increase the housing for those animals. And so that money can be used to renovate spaces dedicated to housing survivors' pets They're really cool. They're just really well done. They're just really amazing. The money could also be used to begin a foster program Mm -hmm. to care for these pets. You know, combination of services, because each community and situation is a little different. In a rural setting, it's a little bit different than in a city. And so we want the shelter to, you know, they know what will work best. And so we help them we're just really interested in providing the capacity. Because right now, only about 15% of domestic violence shelters allow for on-site pet housing. Wow, that's not a lot. Yeah, it's not a lot, you know. And so we've awarded safe housing grants to shelters in 46 states, over $2 million. You know, there are 10 states got their first pet-friendly shelter Wow, due to our safe housing grants. That's amazing. Yeah. We work a lot with Greater Good Charities. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. They are just great. And in 2019, we started the Don't Forget the Pets program with Rescue Rebuild. And Rescue Rebuild's a program of Greater Good. And there's a website that folks should check out, don'tforgetthepets.org. That has really a lot of resources to help human welfare organizations like domestic violence shelters and homeless shelters create capacity to take care of the pets of these people. And so we have a training handbook for organizations thinking of doing this because, you know, when you think about it, the human welfare organizations they have their hands full. And while there's always animal lovers on staff, that's not necessarily what their expertise is. So sometimes they don't even take this on because they're feeling overwhelmed and they're like, Oh my God, how are we going to do this? And Mm -hmm. so the don't forget the pets is all about providing the training and the resources and support for those organizations to have on-site pet housing. So there's a training handbook, a community forum, workshops, and a coaching program. Very cool.
1: Now, you've described so many amazing things that Red Rover is doing. And so I'm hoping that our listeners are like itching to get involved. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about volunteer opportunities? Like how can people find out about how they can help or how they can do things local or are there remote volunteer opportunities? How do
0: people get involved? Sure. Well, the two programs at Red Rover where we very much need volunteers is the Responders Program and the Reader's Program, which is our, as I mentioned, our Humane Education Program. And you can go to redrover.org slash workshops to look at the training programs for those. And so the Reader's Program, we're looking for teachers and volunteers in the school And you can check out the training program there. In the Responders Program, we're looking for volunteers to deploy with us Mm -hmm. to go on site during a natural disaster or when there have been a large amount of animals rescued from a cruelty or neglect situation. And our training is completely online. It's free. And it's really a fantastic way To learn about. It's a little bit of an orientation to what it's like to deploy. And then you just become an active volunteer with us. And when there is a disaster or a cruelty response in your area, you get an email inviting you or inquiring if you're interested in deploying. Wow.
1: Cool. Very cool. I hope some people are inspired to check it out. Obviously, your work encompasses many aspects of humans' relationships with their pets. So I would guess my question is, you know, from your work experience, what would you say about the importance of the bond between humans and their pets?
0: Well, it's almost hard to put into words. I mean, it's huge. And I just think pure and simple. It's really about love and it's a love. It's an unconditional love that sustains us and it's powerful and it's really beautiful. And it's why we focus on it at Red Rover. And you know, when there is a crisis, we want people to be able to protect the animals that they love. And we just want to honor that bond. And so that's why we're committed to natural disaster sheltering so that people don't have to leave their loved one behind and think about pouring a pile of dog food, Mm -hmm. you know, because there is nowhere for them to go with their dogs yeah it's a choice that no one should have to make absolutely the human animal bond just inspires us to be better people you know you think about that bumper sticker you know help me become the person my dog thinks i am (laughs) (laughs) because animals just show that unconditional love and it touches us deep inside yeah you know it can bring tears to my eyes i volunteered with another animal organization, International Fund for Animal Welfare and I just got back from Poland. Oh wow yeah and we were at a refugee area just right at the Ukraine border yep. and there and it was mainly women and children coming through and they had everything they owned on a suitcase or in a box they were carrying and they brought their pets. There were kittens tucked into jackets, laundry baskets with cardboard over the top, their dogs and in a war with their lives at stake, you know, people bring their pets. And so that's a powerful bond.
1: It is. I mean, for me, I was already working in an animal shelter at the time, but when Hurricane Katrina happened, I think that was kind of the turning point in the United States where we recognize we can't ignore this relationship anymore. So yeah, I think everything Red Rover is doing obviously ties into that importance of the bond when there's an emergency, when there's a disaster, when people need help. So thank you for everything you're doing. (laughs) I like to end on like kind of a fun question. So like if you could be any breed of dog,
0: which one would you choose and why? Well, I think I would be an Australian Shepherd border collie mix nice very high energy <laughs> yeah in honor of my dog wallace who has since passed away but i just so so loved him and yeah. admired him but i would want to be that mix because he was smart as a whip oh yeah and yeah. athletic and active love to be outdoors he needed to make a difference he needed a job i see a lot of parallels yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> And he was sensitive and just a great companion. So I always used to say I would love to be like him. And then I used to also say that I would like to come back <laughs> as one of my dogs. because <laughs> Pretty great life. That doesn't surprise me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you've embodied a lot of his positive traits that you just described. So That's thank sweet. you so much for speaking with me today. I'm just so blown away by what Red Rover is doing. Just as a last reminder, where can people learn more? Where can people, I assume you take donations so people should feel free to send you some money or
0: like you said, become volunteers. So can you give us that website
1: one more time?
0: Sure. That's super kind, redrover.org. And that's where you'll find information on all the things that we've talked about. And just a really huge thanks to you for opportunity to talk and for what you do in your podcast. It's a huge service.
1: Yeah. I'm super happy to share about your organization. I'm really just so impressed. So thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next week.